Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is all about The Stand, a very, very, very long book by Stephen King. I wanted to read uh, Stephen King's The Stand for obvious pandemic reasons, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. It took a very long time to read. So rather than just talk to no one about it, I decided to talk to Jen Tisdale, the biggest Stephen King fan in my life. And hopefully if you have no idea what we're talking about, you'll enjoy it. I don't know. I don't know if you like things or not. Either way, thanks for listening to this. Please consider donating to our Patreon account. Not all of us are as rich as Stephen King. You can find that in the podcast description. Or if you're listening to this on Spotify, go to youmethemeverybody.com and click on the About link, and you could find it right there. Let's get to the stand. So I am incredibly glad I gave you as many weeks' notice as I did. Yeah. Because I think I emailed you about this maybe in April. Yeah. Did you read the, like, there's uh, there's oh, several. Versions. Yes. I read the complete uncut 1990 edition, not knowing yeah. the difference. Yeah. So it's like 1300 pages in a paperback and like 1100 pages. If you have the cumbersome hardback. Yeah. The original hardcover is 823. The version that I'm assuming you read as well is 1,152 pages. Yeah. And I got through most of it. And then I was like, as I told you, I'm an old lady with dry eyes. So I started to read summaries online, which I'm discovering I can read better online, which seems counterintuitive. So I, but I re- was remembering most of it because this is the second time I've read. Oh my this. God. <laughs> but, yeah. But I, I read it when I was younger and I remember being like, this is the greatest story I've ever read, which sure. It's really good. It's very good. I do find it interesting that even still in 1990, Stephen King found a way to drop the N-word off. Oh, like, yeah. In the beginning, I was like, I get that this guy's racist. I certainly didn't need him to say that, but okay. <laughs> so uh, for some context here, I am not the biggest Stephen King fan. You are the biggest Stephen King fan in my life. That's why I asked you to do this. You've actually been able to interview Stephen King. I know you bought like the giant box set of like all Stephen King books. So I know that you are at least familiar with this book. I wanted to read this and discuss this book for pandemic reasons because he was on an episode of fresh air in March or April, pretty much at the start of the coronavirus in America. And it sounded perfect. And I've really, really, really enjoyed Stephen King's nonfiction. I've never really, I don't think I've read any of his fiction, but I've loved his books about writing and I love reading him in interviews so this seemed to be the perfect time to dive into the stand. Um, I was not alone in that thought process because it took about a month for me to get copies from one of two libraries because we are not able to go to the library. I had to get it digitally. So I had an ebook version and an audiobook version, listening and reading, mostly listening. Uh, so I, I'm very familiar with everything in this book as of now. But you read this as a kid, is that correct? I did. I can't remember when I read it, but I know I must have read it obviously sometime between when the book was released and when the miniseries came out in 1994, because Mm -hmm. I gleefully, gleefully watched the miniseries, um, which starred, and I I should have had this, had the cast list up. I don't, but I'll tell you. Oh, it's a very, very good cast. It's incredible. Like uh, Gary Sinise. um, I can't, again, I think he plays Stu. I can't remember. Forgive me. I know Molly. I'm reading this on the Wikipedia page. Gary Sinise, Adam Stork, Molly Ringwald, Rob Lowe, Miguel Ferreira, Laura San Giancomo, Jamie Sheridan, Ozzie Davis, Ruby D, Bill Fagerbackle, 
and Shawnee Smith with notable cannibals from John La- notable cameos from John Landis, Ed Harris, Kathy Bates, Sam Raimi, and Stephen King. Yeah, oh God, Stephen King. He will. He loves putting himself in those movies. Um, yeah. So for me, first of all, I don't know if you. I've also, I've also interviewed Rob Lowe, mm-hmm. um, where I uh, I told him that the very first time I remember having a crush on him is when he played a deaf mute. Oh my God. I was like, I don't know if that's an insult, but the first time I found myself attracted to you, Rob Lowe, was in the stand. So I cut out magazine photos. I sat in my room and cut out as many pictures of Rob Lowe as I could find. And I glued them to like a vision board, which is hilarious because that was the only sense that his character had and because he was a deaf mute. And I was just obsessed with him. Obsessed. This is 94 Rob Lowe. Yeah, I was so I was fourteen. Okay, um, which is just around the age that Rob Lowe. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm sure you know that there is going to be a version of this in twenty tw- or twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. I am aware that they are uh, once again bringing it back. It's a gr- another great cast. Um, you're gonna like the cast a lot because it's the the main villain is your guy from True Blood. <sighs> um, Skarsgård. Yeah. Mm, he's 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 can't play a good nice person he's a, been a very bad it's an man amazing cast james marston amber heard Whoopi goldberg red kinnear odessa young henry zaga uh they're all it's amazing they finished filming this in march of 2020 oh boy that's great though because now they just have to cut it around the current news cycle so that's, that's what i wanted to get to this does feel incredibly relevant in ways that I don't think Stephen King saw coming. Uh, well, what's well? I don't know because you know, the, the argument is that you know these the these pandemics or super flus or whatever do follow a pattern. What I found it a little depressing and probably which didn't register to me when I read this when I was eleven was and and I guess we kind of have to drop some like of the plot of the book, but these people. Do you want to do it? This is your podcast. No, do you no, want to kind of go, go ahead. Well, you know, a super flu starts picking off people all over the world, and then two factions emerge from this, uh, a good and evil faction. And, and these people are drawn together by dreams they're having, both of a, a very bad man named Randall Flagg, who actually appears in several King books in different forms. He's also the very bad man in the Dark Tower series. Randall P. Flagg is a, an overarching character in a lot of Stephen King books. It's very interesting. Huh. I've I've always really appreciated how he's sort of like every once in a while will just like bring in characters. Like he brought in two characters from it into his book about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. <laughs> like, oh, so 1964, they, his characters from it. Yeah. 11, yeah. 11, 63, just like very briefly. That's okay. Has two characters from it. And I was just like, so excited to quote unquote, see them again. I went, Oh my God, <laughs> like a crazy person. Like I was seeing old friends. Anyway, I love that he does that. So, so these two factions emerge and the good, the everyone's the good people are having dreams about either the dark man or this old woman, mother Abigail, who's calling them to Nebraska. And then, you know, the bad people go to Las Vegas, which feels a little heavy handed, but sure. <laughs> the city of sin, that's where they go. And, you know, they kind of set up this new, this new freeze, this free zone and and like they eventually end up in Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And of course, the end of it has to be the the ultimate fight 
with like good and evil, I, you know, I do think like we don't need as much of the setting up of the new town where like, you know, we've got like a chapter on how they get electricity back and it's like, okay. So that's <laughs> interesting because this book is so fucking long. Uh, that's the stuff yeah. I appreciated more than the actual battle stuff. That's interesting. Well, I'll tell you what I did find depressing is there's like this town meeting where they all decide that they're still going to use the Declaration of Independence mm -hmm. and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And I just wanted it to be like, shouldn't we use this opportunity to, A, take a red pen through like, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. because Mother Abigail is a black woman That's and right. there's definitely some unfavorable things at some point in the Constitution about black people. I'm like, let's just get a new one. Let's, mm -hmm. why are we doing this old government? Like, I really wish that Stephen King had taken the opportunity to like build something new, but that would have probably been 600 more pages. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing about that. Let's think about who's leading that meeting. It's a, it's a man from a small town, a white man from a small town in Texas in his mid to late thirties or early forties. Is that correct? That is correct. And everyone else on the board happens to be white. Is that correct? Also correct. Okay. <laughs> and mother Abigail, who's for all intents. Mother and Abigail is there, but is the not there. Is currently not present at the declaration, et cetera. Oh, that's Right, she had wandered off Jesus mm -hmm. style into the desert. So for her sins of her pride sin. In no way am I saying is it okay for these people to do what they do, but I'm saying it is very much a reasonable thing to assume that this is what fictional characters would do based on the time and place. Yeah, this is a very biblical biblical story. There's a pregnant woman whose child is sort of must be protected at all times, like a Mary figure. There's deserts wandering and obviously the randall flag could could be the devil it's very religious i don't really know anything about stephen king's religious beliefs i don't know if he's been very open about them but it's very religious <laughs> did you know any of that going in the first time or the, the first time, the first time initially <laughs> going sure. in the first time i don't i wish i could remember i mean again this all came from my mother who is it who is an even lar larger stephen king fan than me i mean when i was eight years old i read um the the book which was made into a movie called silver bullet i cannot remember what the name of the book was but it's the werewolf book and i okay. was just like oh this is very good and so she would just keep passing them down to me oh that's um, so nice so, yeah so you know it's, it's there are worse things to get from your parents um so i don't sure at 11 like what i wish i could remember is how i felt then versus how i felt now because i think i once told you that a book i read every year is bridget jones diary yes. and i was really upset the first time i realized that i was older than the character and i was like oh shit <laughs> so upsetting to like be older than this character that i love so i wish I, i'm sure i wasn't really thinking about politics while reading the book the first time i'm sure i was just like this is a very cool fantasy story. Great job. So I like, looked it up. Stephen King was raised Methodist, but lost his belief in organized religion while in high school. While no longer religious, he says he chooses to believe in the existence of God. I think that's the perfect angle to come at writing a big biblical story. Someone that understands all of the facets, but is not going to be dogmatic about any one particular religion. Yes. I agree. And, and and like you said, this is a perfect book to read now because in the beginning you do go through the, the stages of the decline of civilization and it is hauntingly familiar. There's no nothing, there, the, the racial disparity that we're suffering from now, there are riots in the book, but they're just riots of people who are like, we're going to die. And now we're, we're frustrated because we're, we're going to die. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, there so, is race stuff Definitely in the prologue, which is only in the like complete and uncut 1990 edition, apparently. 
Um, I didn't do so. Just for the listener at home, I didn't do any research about the stand until this morning because I wanted to do. I wanted to enjoy this book the same way I enjoy film, which is knowing the least amount and then doing all the research. Yes. Essentially working without spoilers, right? So yes. it's super interesting to see. Like, I didn't watch the 94 trailer until this morning. I didn't look at the 2020 casting until this morning. I didn't do... I didn't even know that... Like, the, I knew that there was a difference because in the preface of the extended version, he he says this, but I didn't realize it was hundreds of pages longer. Uh, yeah, like through... 300 or something Something like that yeah and and what's one of the things that's added is randall flag um the god the god and the devil never die the devil essentially comes back in a in the epilogue yes it is there's no way for me to say this without it sounding racist in an undiscovered tribe of dark people yeah i also read that and went oh dear (laughs) so that is i'm glad that sequel never dropped (laughs) it is I think the fact that there is race throughout this thing, but it's never about race, but it's definitely going to impact every single interaction with society is brilliant. And something I didn't even realize until like, I don't know, 75% of the way through. He definitely does do that trope, the magical black um, person trope. Like mother Abigail is like about this, you know, I, and, and, and I've, if memory serves, she's the only black person in the book that they kind of mention. Um, Not necessarily. Or she has like a, who has like a large enough role. Who like has a large role? Yes, for sure. So, you know, so there is that, but in 19, and I'm not trying to do that thing where I'm like, those were different times, but like, well, unfortunately that's just what was happening in 1990. Those sorts of things were happening in 1990. Heck, they happened with Bagger Vance. Yeah, should so. we even say 1990? Because, or should we say 1978 when this book originally came out? Oh yeah, God. Even okay, that makes more okay. You know, we should say 1978 because that. I don't want to say it feels less aggressive, but it just makes more sense. Um, the the mm-hmm. reason why I thought this book would be great to talk about, obviously, pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. It's still going on. Uh, unlike the book, uh, this pandemic, people seem to be ignoring it now. <laughs> yeah, that's what, another point I wanted to bring up is if we had this conversation, and I hate, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to say this, it doesn't sound terrible, but um, if we had this conversation before the death of George Floyd mm-hmm. and before at, at, at all of the protests, I think that it would feel the, the pandemic part would have hit harder, but I've but I'm my brain has shifted focused entirely to everything that's happening there. And I have almost been like, Oh yeah, there's a pandemic. Oh really? So are you not quarantined anymore? I am. I'm still doing all those things, but because the news cycle has changed its focus, or at least what I'm consuming, mm-hmm. I'm only aware of it in the sense that I'm currently unemployed and sitting in my mother's house, yeah. but everything else, for me emotionally and news wise has shifted to and some other cool news things of note that have been coming out even as recently as yesterday. So my brain's just all over the place as I'm sure everyone else's is. When you say cool news things, are you being sarcastic or are there actually cool things? No, I'm being sarcastic. Okay. (laughs) I didn't know if there was something positive that we could actually talk about. There's probably something positive, but I'm just, you know, eh, so you and I are a little bit different when it comes to guns. I'm blanket. I'm against all guns. Always have been. Hopefully, always will be. Uh, I don't think you believe the same as me. And um, 
No, I definitely, I don't like guns. I okay. do not like guns. I don't like, I, is this because my family invented a gun that yes. you think I like? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, uh, wow. Now that's going to sound bad. No, I'm, a, I was about to say appreciate the history, but that sounds very, very bad. I appreciate the historical significance of the gun that my family invented, but in terms of owning guns or thinking that the world need gun needs guns, I'm like, no, thank you. I do not want so that. So the, this made me this is one of the few times where I'm incredibly glad I did a little bit of both. Well, I closed the book listening to the audio edition, listening to the audio book. Now, what I'm going to do if it's okay with you is I'm going to play what I think is the most is my biggest takeaway from a thousand plus page book about a pandemic and it has nothing to do with the pandemic. It's I don't know if this is in the original version. Um it's it's in the last real chapter. Well, at the last Free Zone Committee meeting before he and Fran had left, Hugh Petrella had asked for and had been given the authorization to arm his deputies. It had been the cause in Boulder during his and Fran's last few weeks there. Everyone had taken a side. In early June, a drunk had manhandled one of the deputies and had thrown him through the plate glass window of the Broken Drum, a bar on Pearl Street. The deputy had needed over 30 stitches and a blood transfusion. Petrella had argued it never would have happened if his man had had a police special to point at the drunk. And so the controversy raged. There were plenty of people, and Stu was among them, although he kept his opinions mostly to himself, who believed that if the deputy had had a gun, the incident might have ended with a dead drunk instead of a wounded deputy. What happens after you give guns to the deputies, he asked himself. What's the logical progression? And it seemed that it was the scholarly, slightly dry voice of Glenn Bateman that spoke an answer. You give them bigger guns, and police cars. And when you discover a free zone community down in Chile or maybe up in Canada, you make Hugh Petrella the Minister of Defense just in case. And maybe you start sending out search parties, because, after all... That stuff is lying around, just waiting to be picked up. It was like listening to the Micro Machines guy. I was like, oh no. Anything <laughs> slower than that drives me crazy. But like, isn't anything slower than that just normal speed? I think audiobooks are read too slowly. So I listen to everything minimum 1.25. For this, I listen to 1.5. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I am unfamiliar with audiobooks. I've tried to do it and it's for some reason difficult for me, even mm -hmm. though I can listen to podcasts for hours podcasts anyway, are very 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 different it's true so yes i did listen to it and that is quite a progressive stance on guns for a book that was originally written in 1978 okay so the it was the, the voice you just heard was grover gardner um i think he did a really great job and clearly stephen king wrote the text that is in the last eight minutes of a 48 hour book Oh, so that's probably the uncut. Version. I don't know if it's in the un if it's in the seventy eight book, but it's not in the it's not in the part where we find out that the devil is still alive. Gotcha. I mean, it does stand to reason that the extra pages that were re released twelve years later potentially existed in nineteen seventy eight. They were just mm -hmm. cut for time. So in nineteen seventy eight, yeah. and in Stephen King's stance on gun control was basically a landslide like a uh, sort of situation if we do this then this will happen and so on and so forth and then eventually we're running tanks in the streets well i don't think it's i think it's very yeah i agree with that i mean that's why there was a there's a currently a pandemic in the united states of america kind of uh it's definitely, I agree it's it's definitely why there's protests in the streets because things got out of control and no one wanted to admit that, like, ah, maybe this was wrong from the start. You know, it would be interesting, and honestly, I'm using the word interesting really loosely here, so maybe not. 
if someone out there would like to do some research about, uh, I mean, 1978 was six years after the end of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And I would be interested to know about the, 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 what the police had available to them in terms of what versus what they have now, because obviously today's issue is that the police are militarized and they keep getting military grade equipment. Yeah. And I'd be interested to know what they have. Have I lost everyone? Is everyone still listening? No, I don't, I think that, <laughs> oh, in, in the book, the standard are here. No, just like in 1978, when Stephen King, I, we'll just pretend that he wrote it in 78. I will assume that that sentiment was written in 78 at some point, even if it wasn't inc included in the original printing, mm -hmm. that that's kind of a, a real leftist attitude towards guns in general, and especially when it comes to police officers. Um, so I would be interested to know what most police officers in 1978 in the real world, what they had access to. I'm assuming, I don't know when we started giving cops military grade equipment. It seems like either Stephen King was predicting that it would happen or maybe it was already happening. Fair. And again, is everyone still listening? <laughs> I don't... Everyone I, okay, so do you know who Harry Nilsson is? He, yes, I do. Okay, great. Famous musician, wonderful musician. He was like the first big celebrity to say, like, "Hey, maybe we get rid of all guns." Is he Australian? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but it's, and I've never understood why that isn't a popular idea. And I know that's because I'm a, like a very simple American here, but it doesn't seem that crazy to me that we shouldn't have guns. I think it doubly seems less crazy when you have examples where it's actually working, um, like Australia and I guess the United Kingdom as well. Um, so I just think it's crazy. It's not as if we can just pretend that it might not work. We can definitely cite examples where it's clearly working. I, I think that, that you should ask yourself why you're so afraid of your government. <laughs> <laughs> Me personally, or the like anyone? Yeah, the royal you. The argument okay. is always like, what if the government comes and tries to do this to me? It's like, well, you have a weird relationship with the government. It's a real toxic situation where you're both afraid and in love with them. I'm. That's what I'm getting from the stand. That's what this is really about. I mean, in the book, unlike coronavirus, coronavirus is from an animal, a bat, whatever. That's whatever. You can't really prevent that. That's going to happen. That's just nature. But in the book, it's the United States government does something bad and tries to hide it. Yeah. Intentionally and intentionally like, tries to hide it. Yes. And, but it was also, it was, yeah, like you said, it was a, it was a, uh, the disease was something that they made in a lab mm -hmm. and as if I'm sure bio it's, I'm sure that's happening all over the place, but yeah. So uh, that is this. Yeah, I guess you're right. This book less, less an allegory, religious allegory and more a, a giant fear of the government <laughs> sort of yeah sort of or yeah yeah <laughs> i i think so too and i think he makes it palatable for everybody by being like but also here's some uh casual religious references for those people who who don't really want to hear about science for 800 sure. to 400 pages it, there's a little bit of something for everyone it's a real buffet it's an apocalypse but it's a scientific one yay did you ever read american gods by neil gaiman I didn't, but this is going to sound annoying. I think I tried to watch the show. Didn't they turn it into a television they did, show? They Stars with a Z. Yes, and, yes, this is a thank you to Stars, your sponsor. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I tried and it, it seemed really good, but, you know, there's so many options. You just forget sometimes. Yeah, yeah, Why? it's fine. So much of that book comes from this and I have no idea. Really? Oh, God, yeah. The idea for American Gods is sort of 
the the man you saw on the screen uh who's from i, I want to say deadwood yeah he plays the devil um yeah he's guiding our guy that's not that different from this book true um in this book it's good versus evil uh and there's a tri- two different tribes and that's in in American Gods, it's a hero's journey through America, and they use things like Cairo, Illinois, and, and places like that, and they use the religious imagery of America and capitalism and consumerism in that storytelling. This is not that dissimilar. One of our main characters is a current rock star on the way up, and by the end of it, he realizes none of it matters. Yeah, he really, uh, in, in the book, and maybe in both books, you really get zinged because in the beginning, you are sort of trying to, like, the, the people that end up being good and some of the people that end up being bad, uh, you get thrown for a little bit of a loop. Yeah. Stephen King, you get pulled up real M. Night Shyamalan with the rock star guy who just did drugs a lot and then, was like, one of the best guys. Yeah, it's like... I mean, Stephen King, I mean, you know that the argument, do you feel, let me ask you this, do you feel that this book ended well? Because as you know, the, the everyone's main complaint of, with Stephen King is that he can't write a good ending. He's very inconsistent in his endings. Mm-hmm. I think do this was a very it, fine ending. Um, maybe be only. Maybe I'm only thinking of that because there's a weird sense of accomplishment once you finish anything this long. Oh gosh, yes. And I'm never gonna read it. It made sense. Everything made sense, and as long as everything makes sense, I'm cool with it. I don't have to like it. I don't have to agree with it. But every main character's ending, like that's logical in this world that he created. That's a logical ending for every single person slash entity. True. And do you wish? Do you kind of wish that though? <laughs> <laughs> the corona, the same thing that happened in the book was happening now. Do you wish that there was a battle against good versus evil? In the well, way? I mean, that's kind of what this is, too. This Right now, good to me is science, and evil is not science. So it is kind of going on right now if, if you want to fall into that trap. Um, and I definitely do. And I want to get an N95 mask as soon as possible. And if I can, I'll get uh, the best mask as possible, and I'm just not going to stop wearing the mask until there's a vaccine. And... When Same. the leader of the free world is saying uh, masks are a political tool, it's like, well, now they are. You have just made them political. You're absolutely right. Now half the country, or 42% of the country, whatever, is not going to wear those masks. That's both good for me to obtain a mask, but also my mask having or not having has become that much more important because the idea of herd immunity is just not going to happen. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on in the book, too. Yeah, except, I mean, I can't get a sense of how long it takes. I, 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 I mean, I quickly read the summary, so I don't know if they give you dates of how the beginning of the book to the end of the book, do you think takes roughly how long? A year? So a if we do, so it's really just six months, but then it's sort of a postscript with our two leads that when they go back or they head towards Maine, if you do that timeline, it's about a year. Yeah, because in the beginning, uh, Franny's, just finds out she's pregnant and then mm-hmm. by the end there's a baby that's yeah. very quick very very quick yeah so yeah i don't know the stand i think that everyone i mean the npr interview is why you wanted to read it but i think it's widely considered to be his best book or at least his most popular book um more so than cuckoo's nest 
Stephen King? Oh no no, who am I thinking? I'm thinking of Ken King. Like, what am I? Who am I? I'm thinking of. I know what I'm doing. Or, I'm conflating two Jack Nicholson films based on uh, very popular books. That was an interesting leap that your brain is it? Did Harper Lee? No, Harper no, 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 no. It's um. I have it. It's uh. I, I can see it on my shelf. No, no. Uh, sorry. Uh, it's two Ks. Don't you dare Google. Oh, I'm definitely Googling. A hundred percent Googling. <laughs> Swear to God. Yeah, Ken Kesey. Oh, okay. No, I mean, I my favorite. I mean, he's written so many different kinds of books. As you know, obviously, Shawshank Redemption is a short story. Yeah, I thought Shining is his most beloved book. I um, I think it's his most widely known book. Because, um, obviously, the the film was part of the reason for that, but it's also widely known that he did not like Stanley Kubrick's version hmm. of the his of the book. Um, there's a lot in the book that. Kubrick leaves out like the, there's a lot of more focusing on his father and the alcoholism and all that stuff because obviously that's Stephen King's jam. Yeah, is being an alcoholic and a cocaine addict. Um, so, but my favorite books, plural, are the Dark Tower series. Okay, hands down, hands down. If you want to read seven books, each one larger than the last. It's a Russian nesting doll of Stephen King, uh, Nightmare Fantasy. That's the one for you. And Randall Flagg shows up in that one as well. He's oh, cool. The, he is the antagonist in that movie as well, played by, I'm sorry, in those books, played by Matthew McConaughey in the worst adaptation known to man. So, the McConaughey would have been good, actually, in this. T- yeah. Do you think that this would ever work as a as a film, as a like 90-minute to two-hour film, or does it need to be a miniseries? I'm trying to think, okay, so actually, no, it's not the stand. It, I think it does have to be a mini series. Mm-hmm. And, and again, not to just keep talking about the dark tower, but there's also like a very, a, a long history of people trying to adapt the dark tower in many ways. My favorite one, God, is anyone still listening? My favorite one is that I want to say it was Ron Howard uh, wanted to do it. wanted to alternate the book. So one book would be a movie and then the next book would be at like a mini series and then a movie and then a mini series. I'm like, that would be crazy. Yeah. But Stephen King just like, he just really knows how to build worlds and you really do yourself a disservice if you don't include as much of that world as possible on the screen, I think it's impossibly difficult to edit him and still have like a good adaptation. I so really a, do. A f- huge fan of his work. What is the best adaptation? Is it Shawshank? Is it that Hulu series about Kennedy? What um, what does it for you? Hulu series is hard to watch now because of Franco, but yeah. um, I think Misery. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, later on, there was another weird miniseries uh, adaptation of The Shining with Steven Weber, the guy from Wings, yeah. um, playing, uh, playing the, the, the Jack, I forget his last name, Torrent, no, is that it? Jack Torrance, yes, Jack Torrance. Um, and that was very good. And of course, then Stephen King wrote a sequel to The Shining, which was very bad. And that was just made into a movie, which I heard was terrible, Dr. Sleep. I'm just going to say two words to you. I'm going to say psychic vampire, and I'm just going to let you sit with those two words. This could, the, I think the reason why I like this book so much is because it really had next to nothing to do with the supernatural. It's essentially one plot device, mm-hmm. and it's somewhat important, but you can get around it if you don't care. Yeah, and, there's there's shades of it, but it's not something that anyone relies on. Yeah, really. and I think that's what made it so enjoyable. 
Yeah. And it's also just, there is something, it's probably a terrible thing to say right now, but there is something kind of like wonderful about being able to start over and reading about a world where everyone got to start over and you're just like, God, wouldn't that be nice? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. We're in the midst of this. I don't have the luxury to start over. You do. Have you thought about leaving the state, leaving the country, totally new career? Um, oh, that is a big question. <laughs> I, uh, as you maybe you don't remember, I, I've always wanted to live in New Orleans, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's really hard to move anywhere at this moment. Oh, for sure. But I mean, I I don't know. There, I've always kind of wanted. Here's the thing that's always been a real bummer and i've said this before it, it i wouldn't mind having just a quote-unquote regular old job it's like i wish i didn't want more sure i wish i was just content with being nobody oh and that's not, i am nobody but like i want to not be a nobody and that's the albatross well that's sort of the point that our rock star lead at least one of the leads of the book learns by the end of it, that none of that shit actually matters. Uh, it's the super basic stuff that has nothing to do with others' perception that finds that gives him gratitude at the end. It's true, except in 1978 and in 1990, they did not have social media. So have you thought about getting off social media? I think about it all the time. But you are not acting in a way that makes me think you're going to no. do that. No, I'm, I stress myself out with how little I'm able to control my posting habits. And it's a little bit of it is my, is my borderline personality disorder. We have very poor impulse control, but I think most of it is just, I have nothing to do right now. Like I didn't post this much when we were working. It didn't. Here's a better question. What do you want to do? I want to be famous. Why? (laughs) Why do why do you think that will solve anything? No, I don't want to be famous. Sorry. That, no, no, wait, that, 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 that's a potential byproduct of what I really want. And I really love being on a stage. My favorite part of the festival of Death Becomes Us, RIP maybe, who knows, was the small 15 minutes of every show where I got to host. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, zipping through the, the things I had to read. It, like being on stage is my favorite thing. You also are on a stage and I don't mm-hmm. know how you feel about it, but it is really my favorite thing in the world. Sure. The older I get, the less I care about that stuff, which is good you, for me. You have a human, you have a life, and I and I was listen. A, a lot of people have human children, and they don't care. Most people are nerds. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much. I I absolutely adore being on stage. Don't get me wrong, but the reasons why I'm on stage to me are the most important. What are those reasons? Well, that's the thing. If I'm just going up there. Okay, let's say you worked at Six Flags and you were in one of the stage shows and every every 90 minutes or so you were on stage for 15 minutes delivering some something some monologue you didn't care about but 50 to 100 people clapped and were very happy with you every 90 minutes. Do you think you'd find joy in that? I think I would. Okay. I I really do. I mean, think about it. I still felt well. I guess it's still more regimented at Six Flags than when I had to like read the same copy before the show, before each festival live show. But I, you know, whenever, when you, if you get that laugh, it's just like, woo boy, that has to be what heroin feels like. I think, I don't know. <laughs> no, I've never done it, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's what I, I, I that's what I want to do. I mean, every, unfortunately 
the events aren't happening right now mm-hmm. and there's no audience on a zoom call so it's very it's not the same period like to it's just not yeah so i i I don't know. I don't know. I I'm, I once said that I would move to New Orleans and become a creepy tour guide. And okay, so like, you just want a crowd. I want a crowd, but I also have weird interests that that I would know what to do with. Like I do. I like. I love the architecture of New Orleans, and I love the history of New Orleans, and I love history in general. So, like you know, a tour guide would would be like a really nice way to perform and talk about my favorite city mm-hmm. and talk about creepy things. It kind of like combines all my favorite things: performing. Creepy things, New Orleans, graves. Let's say there's a vaccine by, and you're able to get it by February. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> would you be in New Orleans in March, or what What would need to happen for you to make that move? Well, first of all, I would probably have to have money before then. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And my driver's license. But if those two things are in order, baby, watch out. I'm going to the city that is so far below sea level that they cannot bury their dead. And I'm grateful for it. So the thing about all of this is, like you said earlier, it's going to be, it's very, very, very difficult to move right now. But who's going to want to live in cities at this point? I do not know. I, I, I genuinely do not know if any city will thrive after this, I feel like exurbs and rural areas are going to be incredibly appealing. Yeah. I guess if you want to, if you want to bring it back to the stand for a second and look at what, when they were building their city, what what their focus points were, obviously we don't have to worry about like somebody finding electricity, but the things that they decided were important in the stand were building a a government and Mm -hmm. a political system and establishing a police force which is the opposite of what we're trying to do right now and hopefully or in some way and uh as we both know the arts are always the first to go mm-hmm. and possibly never return and also the appeal of a city is virtually useless if you can't do anything like I, we liked to be in dc because of all of the things you can do but mm-hmm. like now we're just in a crowded city yeah mm-hmm. so once again will new orleans be appealing to you I think so because it's still beautiful i don't necessarily want to go down to new orleans i know most people think of things like mardi gras and bars and like drinking in the streets but i really do just love the aesthetic of the city itself and just you know the creepiness of it and yes if you're wondering if my love of Anne rice plays a part in it it certainly does sadly every so definitely by the end of march i'm like i just got to get out of this country what's the best country i'm romanticizing You're- canada specifically toronto because you could still enjoy hockey basketball and baseball games and i don't go to except football games anyways except but, those things might not be happening exactly about- but sooner or later what there will be a vaccine sooner or later that every single pandemic works it's just like i well it depends on how long i, I get the it doesn't matter the point uh, is this now I feel ever- like it's incredibly like racist for me to leave the country because, and it seems like I'm abandoning it just when things are actually starting to align well, with my beliefs. No offense. I wouldn't be surprised if countries put a real strict lockdown on people moving in. Like look at oh, like, sure. New Zealand shut everybody out super quick and they're doing great. And honestly, if they can survive and I'm sure they can without tourism, maybe they're just like, uh, we'll just be like this for a while. No one's coming in. I, I don't even know if they're allowing flights in and out yet. I mean, they're they're totally under control. I would be like, uh-uh, nobody's coming into this place until we get a vaccine. <laughs> That's me in New Zealand. So when do you, uh, what, what was the last time you were in your apartment in Washington, D.C.? 
Well, I stopped by. Interestingly enough, I went camping over the weekend. Okay. And so I stopped by to get some stuff. It was a very hilarious camping trip to Thurmont, Maryland, which is where Camp David is. I did not have a summit. But that is where Camp David is. But it was at Cunningham Falls. Did you have fun? I had so much fun. And most of it was because there was a family that was a couple campsites over that had three of the most adorable children ever. And as you know, I love those babies. So um, was that yeah. was the last time when was the last time you slept in your apartment in Washington DC? Oh, I I can't recall that. Probably March? March? Yeah, March. Are you still paying rent? I sure am. <laughs> Have you thought about maybe <laughs> not and moving? No, I can't. I can't be a 40-year-old person who moves back in with her mother even though that's technically what's happening. So now you're just a 40-year-old person paying for an apartment that you're not using? Yeah, it makes it sound like I've got a place in the city and a place in the country. So now you're just like a 40-year-old person that is like <laughs> cheating on their spouse, but you don't have to have, have a spouse. Ah, uh, yes. Cool, cool, cool. It's, just, it's really depressing. I used to love my apartment, but now it feels like a prison. Yeah. So, I mean, have you hung out with anybody? I mean, you have a baby, so I have to imagine that you're being very careful. Yeah, so we used to see, I used to see Allison on a weekly basis, but since she started going to the protest, that's over. Uh, Jack was supposed to come over. Uh, he's been on the show before. He that he was supposed to come over on June first. Clearly, that didn't happen because of the protests. Um, our mutual friend Armando Gallardo, he's come over once, but like pretty much the next day, sort of covering protests. So like that's out. And then we had one other friend come over, but no one's been inside of our house since you. <gasps> that's the way it should be. That was like March sixth, the the weekend before. I should be everyone's last guest. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm the only person who's been to our former coworker, Sarah, and her husband, Matt's house mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. I've been there. Um, I was at Bucket's house. I actually went over there and we played board games. Andrew Bucket, friend of the show. Did I you think. feel safe? I never feel safe. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of like, you know, they, I mean, they were pretty good at being quarantined. The only time I didn't feel safe, God, this is probably going to sound terrible, is we were just, we were hanging out, we played Trivial Pursuit, really good at it. Um, and then our Bucket's roommate was like, my friend so-and-so is going to stop by. And and, and, I, and and she was like, is everyone okay with that? And then we just shrugged. It's not my house. Mm-hmm. And so the girl stops by and my our friend's roommate was like, so you were out at the protest all day? And I was like, what? <laughs> this was a big deal. I was just like, oh, and I had this brief and awful thought, like, well, I didn't, nobody, if if this information had been presented yeah. to me, I might have been like, hey, ooh, maybe I'm gonna leave. Yeah. <laughs> but now I sound terrible because no, I, I don't think that's terrible at all. I mean, I know exactly why I'm not covering them. I know exactly why. So I get it. I completely understand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that's that. That's all I've done. Honestly, I've been looking at like my mom's gonna going to the beach for the day, and mm-hmm. I was like, Ocean City is disgusting on its absolute best day. Good <laughs> luck. What do you um, miss the most about the old world? <laughs> the corsets, um, <laughs> the way that women used to have arsenic as makeup. Um, let's see, the old world. Well, I mean, I do. I was not a huge bar person, but DC is a big outdoor patio bar place. So I do miss that option. Um, Well, in theory, you could be going to those places right now. Aren't they, aren't there's all sorts of rules like, you know, don't linger, uh, order your food and leave. But based on where you are in Washington, DC, it's like certain places on 17th street, it's like nothing's changed. 
Certain places on 14th Street, it's like nothing's changed. I just don't understand how that's possible. I mean, I and, it, and I guess there's something there's something that's snobby inside of me that wants to say DC should know better. No, they should. <laughs> everyone should know better. We've this is everyone should know better. The period. Stop. End of sentence. Like it doesn't matter where in the world you are. You should know better. Yeah, I think I also miss structure. Um, uh, a little bit, obviously, mm-hmm. having a job was very cool. Um, having health insurance that I understood was pretty awesome. Not I think I'm on insurance right now. Um, they sent me a card, but I'm confused by it all. <laughs> um, that sucks. So I think my, well, we, my mom and I, as you know, we get uh, season passes to these Six Flags in yeah. New Jersey every year. And they are going to start taking reservations, which amuses me to no end. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to get on a ride with my mouth agape. I'll see you there. Well, actually, um, I think it's something like you're 20 times safer outside than inside. So you probably are totally fine. I have definitely been hit by somebody spit on a roller coaster. I swear to God, I have. I, you, yeah, you definitely have. But you're still probably safer than going to like any indoor, specifically basement bar. Yeah, I don't, I, I, that's not, I'm too old for basement bars. Oh, that's not true at all. Cafe St. X is a great place and that's a basement bar. Yeah. And it's meant well, for like people our age. What are you talking about? I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Maybe I, I was too young before and now I'm suddenly the right age. Uh, this is the real Goldilocks scenario. Yeah, you know me. I was also a weird loner, mm-hmm. but it's different when you're voluntarily alone versus yeah. you know, being forced to be alone prison definition of prison and uh kind of not really what am i saying there's cable but like um yeah i i i guess yeah i don't i don't really i think i'm i don't know i i i had a vastly different life than a lot of people i didn't do a lot mm-hmm. not much changed for me except for my employment so yeah so i think the question for the stand and most every book like this is do you think you would survive if you were in the stand? Well, that's a, it depends on what you mean, because obviously people had no choice whether or not they were struck down. Do you think I would be one of the people that someone would deem whoever made that decision that some people lived and some people died? Would I pass that test, whatever that test was? Uh, Sure. Let's go with that. Let's say you're one of the people. So it's, I think it's what 95% or 90% of the population die. Yeah, there's two ways of surviving. There's surviving the actual disease and then surviving the surviving. Let's say you survive the disease. Do you survive okay. the next part? Uh, yes. You do? I do. Cool. Listen to what I'm saying. I have a physical subscription to the magazine Cabin Living. <laughs> I... I'm constantly wishing that I could get rid of social media. If someone takes it away from me, that'll be a blessing. Please take it, take it, take take it all away from me. I, you know, I love, I've always wanted to live in a weird small house in the middle of the woods. And now if the stand happened, which it kind of is, um, the whole world would be a weird small house in the middle of the woods. It's perfect. Do you know how to make a fire? I I made one over the weekend while I was There you go. See? With a blowtorch. There you, well, do you know how to make a fire without a blowtorch? Well, I'm sure there's going to be a blowtorch in every store in the new world. 